and the church. Let's pray together as we lift off this morning. God, we have already sat in your heavens because you are with us. You grab our hearts and you teach us to know you. And we thank you. We come, Lord, with blessing for the church, the individual members that make up the church. And that when we're not all together, we are yet together. And we pray, Lord, that as you have gathered us this day on your Lord's day, let us come with hearts ready to bow down. And Lord, if they're only partially ready, we ask you to break our hearts so that we will want to bow down. Do what you do, what you need to do, so that we can be who you envision us to be. And we thank you for it, Lord, and we look for the power of your word in your spirit to your people. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you're one of those people that have a short attention span, you should love this series. We spent one week in Joshua and we're done. We're in Judges chapter 2 and it'll be it. So we're going to move forward. We've gone through five, six books of the Old Testament in five, six weeks. So if you have a little homework, it would be healthy to read some of the other pieces. God's love to a thousand generations. If you do the math, a thousand generations is a long time. It's probably longer than we've been around. So the idea is an infinite amount of time. God's love is eternal. God's love to the generation that you and I are in in 2010 began with Adam and Eve and moving forward. And God is working and God is preserving his people. So how do we leave off? If you were with us, great. If you listened to it on the website, which you all can, by the way, fantastic. If not, a very, very brief recap. God's people came out of captivity through Abraham's covenant, through Moses' leading, came up to the promised land. God takes Joshua, takes them into the promised land. They get the biggest city right off the bat, big fortified Jericho. God miraculously gives Jericho to the people as an ensign for what is to come. Follow me and I will be your God. All people will tremble before you. I will be your God and you will be my people and we shall live in unity together. And so we left it. If you kind of like to, I like to read. I read a lot. I read a lot of nonfiction, but when I need a little brain candy, I do like to read some fiction. And you know, sometimes when you get to a really good chapter, you're going through some tough stuff in these fiction books. Chapter 8, chapter 9, everybody's getting hurt, everybody's getting killed, everything. Goes, I like to keep reading. And I get to something really positive happens. Ah, that's good. I can set it aside on a night. Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Set it aside on a night table. That's good. I'll pick it up now tomorrow. Then we have all this positive happening. Well, that's where we left it in Joshua. The people have won their victory. They didn't even have to lift a sword. Everybody's worried about them. They're moving forward. We've turned the book. We left it last week on a nightstand on a high note. And we're going to pick it up. The people went in to Canaan, went into the promised land. And some things fell apart. They did not move out all the people. Those that did not follow God. Those that were followers of evil, if you will. They left them alone. So the context for us in the book of Judges is the time after Joshua and before the monarchy. Roughly 300 years, you have the time of Joshua. Joshua leads, Joshua's going to pass away. We have this gap period where there is no, quote, named leader. The Israelites are on their own, if you will, before we get to Solomon, David, the kings in a monarchy. 
Another way to look at Judges, it is a summary of the high hopes and the despair that happens throughout all of history. In order to help ourselves, I know this helps many of us, I've given it four little subsections. I'm going to give them to you so you can kind of prepare your mind. The first subsection in Judges chapter 2, where we will be, is gone in 60 seconds. Yes, it is the name of a movie. Number two, death spiral. Number three, going solo. And four, God's covenant mercy. So with God's help and with his spirit at our back, let's turn to Judges chapter 2. Let's read verses 1 through 10. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make me no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bochim. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in Timnaherez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Gone in 60 seconds. What do we have here? And all the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done. They came in and everything's going well. They have their vision. They have their purpose. We are a people. God is before us. I bet if you asked everybody, they would say, this will never end. We are now out of captivity. Egypt is gone. The desert wanderings are gone. We've got it. We figured it out. Lord, we're in the promised land. It's going to be this way forever. And for a while, it was. Mostly. They followed the Lord. They honored him. But they didn't fulfill all his commands. The rebellion had started. They didn't destroy everybody that God said that they should destroy. This is not necessarily chronological, so we need to, it's kind of given us it all, Judges is not going to be chronological, so if you're reading it on your own, but look at a couple verses in chapter 1 with me. Verse 21. 
But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites who had lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day, as the writer of Judges says, probably Samuel, maybe somebody else. Let's go to Manasseh, verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshane and its villages, or Tanak and its villages, and it keeps going. The people followed God. They were together, but they left some things undone. If they had a list of ten that God said, follow these, they might have done eight or nine. But they left a few. We're mostly there. We're just not all the way there. And pay attention to takeaway points. We like takeaway points. Not getting rid of evil influences will come back to bite us in unbelievable ways every single time. The evil influences in our life that we might set aside, that we might leave out, but don't completely put away. Do not kill, if you will. Have a way coming back powerfully. We all know this, unfortunately, for a fact. So this generation did not follow through. So what happens by the time we get to verse 10? And all that generation, that generation that, if you will, still made it, had some rebellion, had some issues, not perfect, we understand, right? But God had pulled them in, and they had made it, and they had died in faith, if you will, the way it's giving it to us in verses 1 through 9. But remember, these were parents. They had children. What they knew, maybe did not the second generation know as well. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation, the children, after them, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Gone in 60 seconds. One generation. If I'd asked you to take a vote, they're coming into Jericho, they just take Jericho, they've got it all, they've got God's protection, he's leading them, they came through the Red Sea, they came through the Jordan, here they come, how long, how long is this going to last? I don't know, 800 years, 1,000 years, clearly at some point, one generation, their children. God loves to give summaries. He does this in the Gospel of John. He does this for us in Judges. He sometimes gives us a summary, either in the last verse or right near the last verse in Judges. Arguably, the summary of Judges is in the last verse. Chapter 21, verse 25, what's going on? What is happening between that first and second generation? And I submit to you, this is what is happening. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Does that not sound like the world today? Does it not sound like that? You ask people, do you believe there is right and wrong? They will tell you, yes, well, what is right? 
Depends. What is right for me may not be right for you. What's wrong for me may not be wrong for you. There's a kernel of truth in all that. That's why they get away with it. There's a kernel of truth in that. Even scripture says, for some it might be sin, for others not. But how God convicts on certain things. Certain things, not the main things and not most things. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. And a takeaway point for us is that humanity, when humanity does what is right in their own eyes, it will lead to chaos and destruction, anarchy, sin, and death in a hurry. Within a generation. I hear people that are older and wiser than me talk about, if you just go back 40 years, there was a big difference and what people decided is right and wrong. Well, the difference is, to a degree, today, it is okay to do what is right in your own eyes, in my eyes, as long as I'm not hurting somebody in all kinds of things. How does this happen? Let's just talk about that for a moment. Let's sit on that for a minute. How does this happen? Because when we talk about it, when we preach about it, when we Bible study about it, we're like, well, that can't happen. How's that? That's not going to happen. Clearly, it might happen to others, but it wouldn't happen today. I'm going to just throw this out there, and I'm going to tell you, it sounds the same then as it does now. I wouldn't be surprised if the families are in and they're getting settled in. Remember, they all got their plots. They got their land. All right. You know, Dan, you go over here, and Reuben over here, and Manasseh over here. Everybody gets their land. We're starting to get the cousins together. We're going to have picnics. We're settling in. Remember, we've been in Egypt for a long time. We've been in the desert for a long time. We're in the promised land. We kind of like to just settle down a little bit, maybe get the family together. All of a sudden, you got the leaders. The spiritual leaders are saying, hey, the Jebusites are right there. We got to go take them out. Remember what God said? Would it not surprise you to hear words like, why do we have to do that this week? It's been a busy month. I mean, seriously, we've been, we just got done with that war. I mean, you're like this. You've you got all these issues with war. You always want to go to war. Why can't you just settle down? Why can't you just be a husband? The kids haven't seen you all week. Plus, Susie and Mary, they're in archery class together. They've been in archery class. And those Jebusites, they're not that bad. Their schools are better than ours. We haven't even set our schools up yet. Where are we going to? Their art is better. Their music is better. They know more about war. Wouldn't we be better off becoming friends with them? Being in the same neighborhoods? Then you wouldn't have to go to war all the time. You're probably going to die, and then the children don't have a father. Isn't it better if we just let God deal with them? And we just do our thing and be friendly. It sounds pretty good. If I really wanted to spin that, I could spin it in a way that maybe more of us would go, that's, that's not bad. Let's, let's do that. Except that it's against God's word. He had defined the people as evil. He knew that they would become a thorn in their flesh. But the people rationalize. We rationalize. I could do the same thing today. And let's just be really, really careful. This passage in Judges and this story is not talking about the United States. It's not talking about countries in the main, although there is application. It is talking about God's church. It is talking about Israel and God's church. It is talking about his people, the universal church, and if you will, the micro church, i.e. Lakeside Christian Church. Everybody on the right-hand side. What? Do we allow in our lives 
that can lead us into rebellion, become a snare, take even our faith if it's possible, but destroy our children. Because that's one of the sad things. The sins of the parents become the issue of the children as well. Not a curse, not at all, but a reality. An application for us is, brothers and sisters that are parents, we need to teach, teach, teach. We need to live, live, live. We need to encourage each other. Our children are at stake. And watch the generations. I hear lots of people, maybe it comes from my mouth at times too, things that the churches we had all come from, and we come from all different churches here, and we can point to certain flaws, and we can point to the things that we are doing better. We might be expounding more accurately. We might have a better organized church government. We might do this more accurately. That may all well be true, but I will also submit that the churches we had all came from, are, they have things that they were doing better than we are doing. We don't get together much. We have limited times where we get together. And the path, if, a, if it is a trend, will lead us to a point where our children never get together and email each other a point of God's word as the church. Make no mistake, there's trends, and we need to pay attention to trends, brothers and sisters. Let's move on. We have had gone in 60 seconds, but there is a death spiral. Turn with me. Chapter 2, verse 11, we'll continue on. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. I love the plurality of that. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them. And they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord, and they served Baals and the Ashtaroth. Think about how amazing that statement is. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm. As the Lord had warned, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Then the Lord raised up judges. Remember, who raised them up? Not the people, the Lord. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt, more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or... Their stubborn ways. This is a death spiral because there is in the spiraling that is going downwards, there is a pattern. There's basically a four-cycle pattern 
but it keeps repeating, keeps getting worse, like patterns tend to do. They tend to pick up steam, and they tend to get energy. You ever watch like the penny that you put in one of those things at a mall or so, and it starts to get going, right? It's kind of going. Once it gets to the bottom, it's, there's no stopping it. I mean, it's, it's moving. This is a death spiral down to the same tube. So use that as a visual. I, you know, you know, I think people like that. I don't know. Right? The, the one from the mall. All right. Death spiral, four points. Verses 11 through 13. The rebellion. We are now going to walk through them. I know I just read them, but we are now going to walk through them. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. And they abandoned the Lord God of their fathers who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and they bowed down to them. Verse 13, they abandoned the Lord, and they served the Baals and the Ashtaroth. Talk about rebellion. They were being led by the living God who had spoken to Moses, revealed himself, brought Joshua in, had a visible epiphany of his experience, brought them over the Jordan, destroyed Jericho. These was all these gods that existed, these gods of Canaan. They come in and spend a little time with these people. They've got wooden gods. They've got gods on poles. They've got plurality of gods, the gods that brought them into captivity. And guess what? The mind is a strange thing. You would think they would go, how silly. You want to have a debate on who God? Let's go. Let's debate right now. No, what they did was, okay. Yeah. I mean, you got people. You got lots of people. You got chariots. You got army. Okay, we're with your gods now. We came to your land. You were here first. We're coming to your. And they abandoned. I'm sure it wasn't like we threw God over. It was more of like, let's bring it all together. Let's bring all the gods together. We can make this work. I'm just adding some godliness, some spirituality to my life. These are new people. they got new experiences. You know, when our faith is weak, when our faith is only the product of our parents' faith, so I'll speak to the second generation now. When our faith is only the product of our parents' faith and it's not a real faith at all, that's when we will embrace every kind of gods because we believe in spirituality. We just don't know who God is. When we know who God is, for me personally, not because my parents brought me to Sunday school, not because I like to honor them, not because I think my parents are smart, but when you ask me, is it this God real or is this God real? I need to know. There's an old-time phrase that I think is healthy for us to remember. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. We are either his child or we're not. Not our parents' faith. He only has children. Amen. The rebellion, they fell into idolatry. The consequences of rebellion lead to what? In verses 14 and 15. Here's the consequences. Rebellion against God is always dealt, dealt with. Sometimes in the immediate, sometimes in the later. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. He gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of the surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. Whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them. And they were in terrible 
distress. Their physical circumstances in this life changed. We do not believe that God is a genie and that God, every time we do his will, we get all good things. All you got to do is look at the New Testament and the suffering of Christ and the suffering of the apostles and the suffering of all. In God's faith, there will be persecution. Amen. But there is also the truth that when we are in sin, that God removes certain blessings often as a way to teach. It takes wisdom and discernment to know which is which because sometimes the trials were not because of sin, i.e. Job and others. But here there is a direct correlation that God's blessing, that he's putting the hedge about them, his people, his church, you and I, providing for them to go forward. When they rebelled, he removed his protection. And his protection was the only thing that gives us success. It was not in their ability. It was in God's control. Their rebellion turned into distress. If you want to have a mark, there's in Judges 3, they begin. When I first studied Judges previously, we preached a series on this six, seven years ago. it is amazing if you walk through Judges, and they were in slavery again for 10 years, and they were in slavery again for 20 years, and they were in slavery again for 40 years. And it is this whole issue, just like you had with the Egyptians, we kind of forget about it. They had these minor points of slavery where when it says that they were in distress, they were literally bond servants again consistently. And it's not chronologically. It might have been happening in different parts of the country. So there's, you know, in this part of the country, in this part here, they're in slavery again here, and they're, oh, then they cry out to the Lord. Rebellion, number one, the cycle. Number two, God's wrath kindled against them. What is part three, verse 16? Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. When they were in terrible distress, they cried out to the Lord. What does the Lord do? A God of eternal mercy, of grace that we know of no end for his people, for his church, he gathers them. He loves them. He's disciplined them. He's angered with them. But he raises up judges. And these are not judges to just judge. We don't understand it as well. It's more like a leader, a captain, who's a spiritual leader and a captain to bring them forward, to rise up, to encourage the people. So God raises up judges. And then what happens next in the final cycle? Then, let's do verse 16 again. Then the Lord raised up judges, pay attention, who saved them out of the hand of those who plundered them. The part of three is they're saved. They're outside. Their captives are gone again. Yet, 17, they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge. Think of Samson or Deborah or Gideon. These are the judges, right, in here that you will find. And he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved by pity by their groaning because of those who had afflicted and opposed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back. And get this, here's your spiral downwards. And were more corrupt than their father's going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. Point of application right now, 
wherever we, when God saves us out of our sin, when God saves us out of our misery, when we call out to him and restores us, if we return back to it, it will be returning to something deeper. We are not, God has not created a world where we sit in moments. It is, a, it is a world of movement. We are either moving towards God and our faith is growing and we're growing closer to him or we are moving away from him. Our nature will pull away. So if we're doing nothing, do not think we can keep coming back to the same spot. If we come back, we're coming back to a spot that is further away. Hearts are harder Repentance is more difficult. God seems further, less noble, and we're wondering why. I'm doing the same sins. Why does God seem further? It's the cycle. Does this sound familiar? At at this time, we might sit there and go, Preacher, why are you picking on me? We struggle. We get, we get in repetitive patterns of just this. We forgive somebody, then we're angry again, and then we get this, and we love our church, and then we can't stand our church, and then we love our leaders, and we can't stand our leaders, and we like our job, and we don't, and then we return to the same materialism or the same envy or the same jealousy, the same pride that we've been to before, except now it's worse. If we ended right now, right, we'd just like boy, walk out of here and like, oh, let's just cancel Mother's Day lunch because I'm not feeling like it right now. I'm feeling a little down. But it's not the end of the story. What did we say in the beginning? And everybody, there was no king in Israel, and everybody did what was right in their own eyes. We're jumping ahead now to the next section. Going solo. Going solo doesn't work. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and it was a disaster. It was a catastrophe. So God, remember the verse, God raised up judges, captains, leaders to teach, to motivate, to move forward so God could bring the motivations for his spirit back. And this is where the church gets really, really confused. Okay, then all we need is good leaders, because if we're failing, it's our leader's fault. Because they're leading us wrong. Because see, when you raise up good judges, everything goes well. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. We just need a good leader. Guess what the world does with that? Takes that and starts anointing men as their spiritual leaders and placing faith in the men. Want me to start naming the religions, the traditions? Whether it's Confucius or Buddha or the Pope. You want to go this way? Protestant churches that have their faith in their articulate preacher or their elder group. It is a very, very quick slope to some to follow a man and raise him up and say, there's our leader. That's not what God is talking about when he says going solo doesn't work. The idea for the church, this is why it's not talking about the United States, because other countries have tried to create a theocracy as opposed to a democracy, a republic, a democracy that we would have, we would say there are Christians that would say the United States would stop all their problems if we elected God as our president, God as our king, go back to a theocracy like it was in Israel. This is what the Muslims try to do. God is our God. God is our king. God is our leader. We follow him. 
But God is saying exactly that to Israel. If we, the continuation of the story of Judges, if we skip past Ruth, it's basically chronological here in Samuel. Go ahead, two books ahead. 1 Samuel chapter 8. Let me see if I can highlight for you and bring to clarity for you what I'm talking about. When God says going solo doesn't work and what the people are always looking for, a leader. This period of the judges, God was helping them. Joshua's gone. Moses is gone. There's no people. Chaos is reigning. God's raised up judges. The period of the judges is not without its problems. When Samuel became old, he was one of the last, if you will, of the judges. He made his sons judge over Israel, judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, It's okay. Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For Samuel, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. But they have rejected me from being their king. In God's church, God has given order and organization. He's given us principles to follow for how we can execute as a people. But friends and brothers and sisters, God is our leader. This is a theocracy. He is our Lord. We follow him. We need to be people of the book to know what he says, to know who he is and what he wills. If we are people that say, preacher, tell me what the book says and I'm going to go do and I'm going to trust you, pray, pray, pray to God that you have a preacher who knows the word then. Because he's easily fooled. Easily fooled. And preachers are men that are stubborn and that like pride and they like to be lifted up and they like flattering words and they like to preach to the itching of the ears. Be people of the book. And let God be your God and we unite together as a church. We've had a blessing of Lakeside Christian Church to be able to start afresh, start with vision, start with God as our God. We're coming into Jericho, we are nailing it down, and the first generation, the first couple weeks, the first couple months are good, amen? What will come next? What will come next? Will we make friends of the world? Will we get busy with everything else? Will the vision wane? Will our God not be so much our God? Will we start nitpicking and picking at things and being frustrated? And next thing you know, the vision for changing a community, for the grace of God, for our Lord and Savior, will become just another church we attend that we compare to other churches. We're making friends with the world and not being led by God. That's what Satan wants, and he's very, very good at it. Going solo doesn't work. We need a leader. And who is that leader? I told you it's not chronological completely because we've got to take a look at it. 
right back in the beginning of chapter 2. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up from Egypt. Did you catch that? The angel of the Lord came and he said, I brought you up out of. Speaking in the first person, who is I that brought you up? It is God. It is God who led them. God who led them. This is likely Christ speaking again to them. I can't say for sure and I will not be dogmatic on that. But pay attention that it is speaking And the person, I have brought you out. God said, I am your leader. I is the one who who have done this. Skip ahead with me to the Gospel of John. It's important for us to read how the Scripture all comes together. It's not in an Old and a New Testament. It's a first and a second. And it's God revealing his love to a thousand generations. From the time of Joshua and the time of the judges to the time today. In John chapter 1. Verse 49, remember with Philip and Nathanael, just to keep it brief, Nathanael comes up, Nathanael answered him, he's speaking to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. When I see that, I love to see that, you are the king of Israel. Paul speaking to Timothy, chapter 1, a couple verses, 15 to 17, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I've received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever, amen. To the king of ages. Christ is our king. Christ is our leader. We follow him, and he will lead us to paths of righteousness. So the question is, are we following Christ, or are we following our own ideas? Are we following what we think the Bible says? Are we following what we want it to say conveniently? Are we finding people to follow who agree with us? Or are we looking to follow Christ, come what may? Because we believe that the end of following him is joy and peace and gladness evermore and for everlasting. Our last point, God's covenant mercy. We've went and gone in 60 seconds, the death spiral, going solo doesn't work. Now God's covenant mercy. If your life is a challenge, if you experience the challenge of the spiral and you're not yet seeing the victory in your life, I do want to specifically encourage you today. I wrote down a quote that I was reading from David Jackman. He had said it well, in my opinion. Let me read it to you. Has God allowed lingering consequences from our past sin and rebellion to dog our footsteps? If so, it is not because he loves us less, but because he is keeping us dependent on him to get through each day, which is our position of greatest strength. When we toy with sin and pride and rebellion against God, we go against the commands of his word. When we look out years forward and we have a mess in our life, whether our marriage is a mess, our relationship with our children is a mess, our positions at work are a mess, our finances are a mess, if these things are happening... They may not be a product of what we're doing today. They may be a product of what we did before. You say, Lord, I thought you were going to heal and forgive. He does. 
But be careful with our choices because they lead to consequences. But in those consequences, God is sovereign. He takes those consequences and he raises them back up to do what? As David Jackman said, to take those consequences to break us, to get us on our knees so that we can depend on him every day, which is our position of greatest strength. He takes what is wrong and uses it to make what is right. He takes even our sin and the consequences it brings. He is not the author of it. He is not the instigator of it. He is not even the desirer of it. But when it is there, our God is sovereign. And he takes even that, and he takes our repentance, and he leaves sometimes the consequences to remind us, to bring us, to break us, to mold us so that we can be his in eternity. Can I get an amen? It is why... James is all over this, but I chose not to go to James. I chose to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is basically saying this when he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, things that are coming out in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because write this down and read it afterwards if you're not going to turn to it now. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You can spend an entire year in that verse. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary... You have been grieved by various trials, some of our doings not, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, we have not seen Jesus Christ. We can't say he's sitting right there. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we're going to do like a unbelievably fast exposition of that. Verse 3, God's eternal mercy, God's great mercy covers our sins, even our death spirals. Verse 4, it is an eternal inheritance Verse 5, it is guarded by God's power. Guarded for us by God's power. Verse 6, rejoice even in our trials. God is using them. And in verse 9, God will make sure that we obtain the outcome of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls and eternity with him. Isn't that good news? I need another amen. Amen. Is your life a wreck? Have you really, really messed up? Is it embarrassing? Come talk to me. I'll tell you about mine. It's, it's a lot of mess. But there is victory. There is joy. There is improvement. There is God guarding, God keeping, God leading, God forgiving, a mercy that goes to a thousand generations. That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we praise. That is the God who keeps us.
Let us serve him. And friends, let us pack this place. Let us tell others about this great God.